Hi and welcome to episode 105 of the Gridirons of Europe podcast. My name is Andre and uh, today we start a special new project. Uh, we are finally going to be discussing some U19 action, but my regular co-hosts are not too interested in U19 this year. So I've brought in a guest co-host for these U19 episodes. It's uh, Coach Leo Bilgren. Welcome to the podcast, man. First time uh, joining us. Thank you very much. Excited. I am very interested in talking U19, so you got the right guy for the gig. Yeah, I know. Uh, Leo is like the, the only guy in Sweden who's uh, tweeting about uh, U19 football. And uh, I know he's been, been in the game for a long time and he's a total nerd for all of the U19 history stuff and he's still in it today. So uh, I, I think I got the right guy for this. I, I got that feeling too. I mean, what you basically said is I'm old, which is true, but it also gives me experience. So I can go back in history if we need to do that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I'm a lot younger than you, so I, I'm not as steeped in the history of U19 football here in Sweden, but uh, the, the area that I do know is like the last 10 to 12 years, I know very well because I've been in it for the whole time as both a player and as an observer and as a coach. So recent history, I know very well. But if we go further back, I'm not as good as you are at it, Leo. You can lean on me in that case. No worries. I think we'll do that. Uh, Well, uh, everyone might not know who you are. So perhaps it's time you gave a bit of an introduction. I introduced you as coach, but where, where are you coaching? Where have you coached? And uh, why are you so interested in U19 football? Well, um, where I coach currently is with the Tears of Royal Crown, U19 and seniors. And I've been also coaching in Norway the last couple of years and Tears before that. And going even further back, I was with the, the Student Northside Bulls and the Solent Chiefs and the Stockholm City Whitecats. So... I've been around a number of clubs here in the Stockholm area, always coached. I mean, I started out coaching junior football, U19, but then uh, did senior as well as U19. I've never really stopped coaching youth football. To me, it's it's like the purest form because you cannot really buy success. You have your own program and you, and you develop your own players and the players are so passionate about it. So uh, to me, that's one of the big ups. Uh, when it comes to U19 football compared to senior football, which is obviously higher level, but still it's imports and it's recruits and all that stuff. So it's, it's also good, but it's a different thing. Yeah. I think it, we, we talk, we talk a, a lot about it in the pod, especially when we're discussing division one football that we're big on here, uh, the division one ball in Sweden, it, you have all these guys who they they work they have jobs some some people have families that they need to go home to they have other shit going on in their lives so football isn't that big big of a part of some of these people's lives so creates a kind of layered tier where some people are incredibly committed while others aren't quite as committed and of course you get that with the youth football as well but we kind of have higher expectations on the youth players to show up to be there every day because they don't really have excuses not to compared to the senior guys. 
True. And also they, they are still young and impressionable. And uh, for them, this is like the, one of the biggest things going on in their, in their lives at the moment. So you get that true passion for it, which is something that makes it fun for a coach, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, so I, I've gone through the youth levels, both, both as a player and uh, as a coach, essentially. I've coached at U15, U17, U19, and I played through all of those age groups as well. And I think both coaching and playing, it's the most fun when you're at the U19 level because that's, that, that, that's where all the action's at. Agree. And kind of fun. I I played against uh, Leo Bilgren coach team back in 2016, I think. You guys came down to Kijuansta for a semifinal. Correct. Bringing um, back bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, we lost that game. We did play pretty well, though. You guys had a really good team, as I remember it back then. And it was a, it was a close game until, like, early fourth quarter. So um, it's always really tough to come down, uh, play you guys down there. So we did okay. We had a lot worse game, uh, I guess, the year after when we got totally clobbered at your place. So, yeah, been both highs and lows. Definitely playing you guys. Yeah, but you you guys got your revenge uh, in 2018 at least. Correct. Yeah, we were stacked then. So if you would have lost that one too, I'd probably kill myself. <laughs> but hey, should we uh, get into what's happening uh, this year perhaps? Because we're three rounds down. Three weeks of football has, have already been played. And we're starting to see some uh, tears crystallize themselves uh within both the, the North and the South. Right, yeah. Uh, shall we begin uh, up North, your neck of the woods? Let's do it. Like you said, three rounds in. Um, it's, a, it's really a fun conference because um, games are tight and kind of hard to predict. Uh, so far, yeah. Oiko are the, in the lead. They're three and all, but, but, uh, but games but, are tight. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the scores, and I haven't been able to watch much. But they, it's not like they're dominating these games. No, and also there are teams trending. I mean, uh, they played. They meaning Oiko played uh, Stockholm in the first round and won pretty handedly. Um, watched that game; it was close for the first half, and then Stockholm kind of ran out of steam because they had a very small roster for that game. I think they had like sixteen guys. But that roster has grown. We played them last Saturday, and they dressed 25 guys and looked really good. So they are definitely a team that's on the rise. So I think that's the. it's so good when you have competitive games each week and you don't really know for sure who's going to win a given matchup. Um, that's the case up here. I think anybody can beat anybody on a given day up here. Yeah, and if you're purely like looking at the standings in the north, it's... Of course, you got the AIK sitting there at three and zero. They look clearly like the top team right now, but they've been in some close games, and every other team beneath them are sitting at one and two right now. <laughs> so that that battle for the second playoff spot is going to be intense because in in uh, this league, each conference, the North and the South, get two playoff teams and. Uh, the winner hosts a playoff game, and number two goes to play number one in the other division. 
Correct. Yeah. No, it's totally up for grabs still, um, which is uh, it's going to make for an interesting end of the regular season for sure up here in the north. And I, I, I'm I'm not going to disrespect Oiko in any way, but I'm just saying it's not locked in that they are going to win this. They're probably going to win the division or the conference, but it's not. I wouldn't like bet my my last hundred crowns on it because uh, it was a pretty close game against. Um, uh, Vespi here um, last round, and uh, I think there's potential for both Stockholm and Tirza to, to give him a, a good fight. So who knows? Yeah, the, the the only problem though is that all of all of you guys are sitting at one and two, which means like you have you need them to drop two games, and you need to win out, and you need the tiebreakers. Like there are a lot of factors uh, at play to get one of the other teams above AIK right now like they, they might not be winning these games by big margins but they're huge favorites to get gain that home field oh, yeah. advantage at the oh, very yeah. least but the thing is uh, I mean for instance um, to say that I'm coaching we haven't played Oiko at all yet so there's no tiebreaker we could potentially beat them twice and that would change things I'm not saying it's going to happen I'm just saying it's a possibility still yeah that, that, that you guys actually have the clearest path then too uh, grabbing that number one spot if we're looking at it that way because it, it's it's obviously not Vaspi since they have already lost two games their own two so they they have a very tough road if they uh, are gonna get there they need AIK to lose out and themselves to win out to be able to go past them but yeah it's a, it's a very interesting looking division right now I I think AIK even I, I think they're going to grab that number one spot, most likely. Yep. Uh, but even if they don't, I feel pretty safe to say that they're grabbing a playoff spot. Oh, yeah. I feel very safe in saying that. Oh, yeah. And they should be. I mean, just looking at like, the eye test here, just looking at the teams on film, I've seen all the teams up north quite a bit. And uh, I think they are the team that looks the most complete as of right now. Although I was... Very impressed with Stockholm. We played them this Saturday and lost uh, after having beaten them the week before. And uh, they looked a lot sharper. They got a receiver back. I think he was coming back from an ACL injury and he played uh, high school football as well. Uh, so that was his first game back. And he was a total difference maker for them. They have a very good quarterback, obviously, the starter for the U19 national team. So that connection was lethal. Yeah, what, what's that kid's name? The the quarterback again. It's uh, it's Lambert, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Lambert. Yeah, yeah for Stockholm. Yeah, the, yes. the tabby kid, kid they've gotten into Stockholm. Yeah, correct. Lambert. He looked very good in this game. Let's let's hope that's a preview of uh, things to come against uh, Austria here next week. Totally agree. <laughs> uh, but shall we turn south a bit, perhaps? All right. Uh, since you're not in the division and you're kind of looking at it from afar, what just based on what you've seen and heard, what what do you think of the the, the other division so far? Well, from what I've seen, I've seen uh, a couple of streams and obviously the scores and so on. You know a bit about the teams. It looks like Karstad is far and away uh, the strongest team as of right now in the Southern Conference. They've been very dominant 
in uh, in their games. So uh, I'm not really breaking news here, saying that they're <laughs> the, the strongest team down south. Um, it looks like it's pretty much up for grabs behind them. Compared to last year, it looks like Limham slash Gothenburg is a tad weaker. I know that uh, the Predators are very young this year. And the other Gothenburg team are basically an upstart. An old club that's back, which is great to see that they're back playing U19 football again. So from what I can see, Karlstad is uh, probably going to be the one seed from the south. And then it's an open race for the second spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty astute analysis because that, I mean the situation we're in it looks pretty clear that Costa's dominating things. Uh, us and Kifansta we're we're getting a second crack at them at the very tail end of the season, and I really right. hope we can put together a good team performance there. But closing <laughs> the gap from the opener to the final game, I mean, it's going to take a lot to do that. It's going right. to take a lot. But the, 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 the goal, at least, is to have a very competitive game in the second bout and then get all the way to the final and get the win there. Right. <laughs> Good plan. I mean, as I see it, looking at the uh, just the scores and the, and the standings, um, you guys are 2-1, but you've played the new team, so to speak, the Gothenburg team, uh, the Giants, which yeah. is obviously a lot of new kids and... Uh, a game or two games that you should win and you have pretty handedly. Uh, it's going to come down to you guys playing Limham twice, and that's probably going to decide who gets second. The way I see yeah. it, yeah. and it, I mean, it, it looks pretty clear right now because we've got uh, Monster Predators and the Limham slash Marvels team. There, both both of us have had dominant wins against the Giants. And both of us have lost big to Calista. So right. we, we haven't had the exact same games, but we we know that the two clashes coming up after after the break uh, are going to decide it. So we've yep. got some big games in front of us here. Because Limam's obviously going to most likely going to beat the, the Giants and most likely going to lose uh, to sorry to Karlstad. And then it's like you said, it's going to be up to those two games between you guys. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm meant to be breaking news here, but uh, it <laughs> looks like uh, the Giants are not going to be able to finish the season Ooh, here, okay. which, which is r- really sad because we, I mean, we see that they're inexperienced. They don't like quite know what's going on on the field right now. It's it's a team full of beginners, so it's right. completely understandable. But like they have a solid foundation of players and i think they could really build something there so if they're not able to finish the season out here it's it's really sad both for the club and the the series as a whole really i guess they have the break now to like rest and recuperate and then come back and play those last three but you don't think they're going to make it no the report says uh, they are most likely not how many kids did they address for the games when you played them I, I think they only came down to Kuhansta with 18, but when we played them up in Gothenburg, uh, was it 20, 22, 24, something like that? So it's not too they, bad. They, they were pulling decent numbers. So, so yeah, the, it, it surprises me a bit that, it, yeah, it looks like they're not going to complete the season. Hmm. 
Hope you're wrong on this one, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I hope so too. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the those clashes between Kekwanstein and Limham, uh, Limham slash Marvels, uh, they're gonna be they're gonna be huge games. Uh, and look, lo- looking at scores, you'd guess these two teams are close to the same level. So. If these are not the two most competitive games in the South this season, uh, I'd be surprised because they right. should be. They it really should be, Based yeah. on previous, previous knowledge, you know. And also, that's a big rivalry game between you guys and Limham. So, adds a little extra spice to it. You guys have been button heads like senior football, U19, <laughs> U17, U15, you name it, for yeah, years. We- uh, and, and we have uh, in Kapanza, we have a lot to try to avenge this year because mm-hmm. uh, we had two losses, uh, very close losses with our senior team this spring against Limham, right. uh, and then we had the U19s last year where we lost by a point uh, at the end in the opener, and then we lost the final to them as well. So we, we we're on a bit of a losing streak, and we need to turn that around and avenge all those uh, previous losses here. Wow, because I mean, historically, you guys have been winning more than losing against Limam. Is my just gut feeling going by history? Yeah, I think yeah, I think historically that has been the case. Um, when they beat us last year with the seniors, that was the first time their senior team had won a game against us in four years I think oh, okay so we had a bit of a streak going there right right but you know generational shifts uh, tend to turn things around true and Limham they've had a very good youth program going you you haven't really seen it because they haven't had the u19 teams going but they well, I'm seeing because I I know they, uh, yeah. the the quarterback very well who's in high school now but I've oh, seen uh, that his generation yeah Gilbert yeah they, they, they've been getting these kids through U15, U17, and then right. sending kids up to the seniors from there. And how many, many of them are making huge impacts on uh, their senior team right now. Right. Interesting. And that's the way it should be. Your youth program feeding your senior team with quality players coming up. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how things should work. And that's, Unfortunately, not how things do work everywhere. No, uh, but like the the good teams usually have that set up. Yeah, M- most do, but yeah, not not, not <laughs> always. You have some teams who are more into recruiting players, true, and true. Uh, some teams manage to gather enough people for a senior team, but then the entire thing dies out because they don't have a youth program going. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So we've checked on the situation. We've got the U19 North. We have uh, AAK sitting at 3-0 and with every other team, Stockholm, Vespi, and Toyota sitting at 1-2. and And in the South, we've got a... 3 and 0 dominant Costa team. They they've scored 140 points in 3 games and they've allowed zero zilch, nothing. Oh, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we got the Predators sitting at 2 and 1 and Limham at 1 and 2, but they have 
games coming up here next, and uh, the Giants sitting at 0-3. That's the round rundown for you of uh, the current state of U19 football. Now, if you look at it historically, Leo, just based off of the film, what you've seen, uh, maybe your, even your own team, how do you compare this year's uh, group of U19, the kind of the quality of players, teams, compared to other generations that you've seen go through it? Where are we at kind of with U19? Are we at a good level, a very good level? It's average? What, what do you think? Uh, this, that's a that's an interesting debate to have, and I know there are a lot of different opinions on that topic. My personal opinion is that the teams as a whole are, um, especially like the top teams, are not really as good as they were, let's say, five or ten years ago. But the best players on each team are probably a little bit better that like the top, top level, the best guys, they are probably a bit better than they were 10 years ago. So like the, the, the tip, the, the most talented and the most well-coached and most well-rounded athletes and players, they have a higher ceiling than they had say five or 10 years ago. If you'd like talk in general terms. Uh, but I think like the, the overall level of play is not quite up to what it was five or 10 years ago. I think it's trending in the right way. I think it's better than last year. And it's like coming back from, from COVID and being very few teams. So I think the it's trending in the right way. And it's probably going to come back to uh, what, what it was five years ago, like 18, 19 pre-COVID. Uh, and then our best guys are still going to be better than they were pre-COVID, I think. Because I think those like top, top players, they are working so hard to get scholarships. And they've seen now that it's very, like, it's actually doable to go D1 out of Swedish uh, high school age, so to speak. You don't have to play in the U.S. to, to get a D1 deal and all that stuff. So those kids that have that goal, they are getting prepared at a level that we didn't have, say, 10 years ago. That would be my take right now. Yeah, I, th I think that's a kind of a, what do you call it, Ma mainstream kind of take. Because I, I've heard that said a lot, that we, we had more players, better depth, all, all, all of that, mm -hmm. uh, like 10 years ago. Right. While today, the top athletes are a lot better, but we don't have quite the depth that we used to um and that it's it's an interesting uh, debate to have which is actually better so to speak like, right if you don't have the depth then we're kind of losing out on the football that's being played here but having top athletes head to the to the U.S. for uh, Division One college play, like that—that's tremendous. So, mm -hmm. the, the the ultimate deal would be to have great depth and great top talent sending people to the U.S. and have all of it. But for sure, uh, right now it feels like we've had the other before, but now we have the second version. It's like mm -hmm. 
why can't we have both? <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. But I think it's just a trend in society in general that more kids stop playing whatever sport it is earlier and it's tougher to recruit kids to start playing sports because you got so much other stuff going on that is so to speak easier it doesn't take any commitment or work or it doesn't give you any bruises or anything yeah the phone the the playstation the netflix whatever it is and uh and that's tough to get the kids off the couch and go to practice and it's i mean football is also a i mean people say it's a sport for everybody to me that's like the biggest bs ever in, in the world it, if you're small fat slow and a coward it's not for you you know if i speaking bluntly here so it's not for everybody but a lot of different body types yes that's true small quick guy big strong guy that's heavier totally fine we want them all but um i mean football is challenging and that is definitely not for everybody to come home with, with bruises and a coach that's a disciplinarian and all that stuff that's not for everybody yeah, and it's uh, no no matter the position you play in football, you have to be ready for contact. Like Correct. if if you're not prepared to get hit, you most likely cannot step onto a football field, no matter where you play. Definitely, and that's just the fact of it. Uh huh. That is very true. On the other hand, I think just because football is so different from a lot of other sports and so different from other parts of kids' lives these days when everything is like so cushioned up and uh, everybody's so worried about, oh, is that going to offend somebody? Is that going to hurt him? Is that going to make him feel sad? Football is like a little bit of a throwback culturally in a good way. So I think that can also have a pull factor for a lot of kids. Like, oh, this is something totally different than whatever else they're doing in their lives. So I think if you just get the kids down to practice, most of them will like it. So there's definitely potential to be back at good numbers and all that good stuff you talked about. Yeah, it, it, it's not like you in uh, every other walk of life uh, that, that you'll be able to just run around and hit people like that. That's uh, very limited where you're allowed to do that. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the football field is uh, one of those places. Definitely. And there's always going to be a lot of young men that is looking for a kick of an adrenaline and football will definitely give you that. So that's one of our main selling arguments, I think. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of people, this might not be the best, but for some people, it's an outlet for their rage or for uh, uh, whatever frustrations they have. Otherwise, they can let it out on the field for the most part. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, as we mentioned briefly earlier, we have a huge event in U19 football coming up uh, in just a week from now, or a week and a day from yep. when we're recording. <laughs> We've got the Junior European Championships uh, between... Sweden and Austria being played in Örebro yep. on September 16th, is that? Yes, that's correct. 
any thoughts going into that game? We've had uh, two European championships with uh, Swedish losses. The last one was quite close. Will we finally see the Swedish team get that gold? I really want to say yes. I honestly don't really... I, I can't give you like a serious analysis because I know way too little about the Austrian team. But what I do know is that Austria is always so good. They have such a strong tradition. I mean, obviously, turnover of players from year to year, but just the tradition. I might be wrong on this, but I heard that Austria are undefeated at the U19 level against European competition, because I think they played some US team or whatever, but against European competition, 14 years straight, have not lost to a European opponent. And... uh, yeah, that tells you something. I, I I don't remember the years, but yeah, I know that they they have some insane winning streak when it comes right. to these junior national teams. They just do not lose. Nope. But la- last time it was very close, uh, and this time Austria have to travel to Sweden right to get it done. And I that, will that play. A role? Will that be a factor in the game? Most likely, and, yeah. And can Sweden draw on something? Can they use that home field advantage? Will we get a good crowd to go out? Anyone listening, if possible, get yourself to Örebro. Right, yeah, I will be there for sure. September 16th. It, mm-hmm. It's a big game. I'm, I, I'm still not sure if I'm going to make my way up there, but... I really want to. It's the event this year. Totally, yeah. And, I mean, just looking at the Swedish team, I think uh, the quality of the roster is very, very good. Unfortunately, we have some injuries that will probably hurt us a little bit because we don't really have super depth. We're not dressing 45 guys. I've seen the roster. I don't know the exact number. And I, I know that Coach Blinkenfeld is one of those guys. He will not bring guys that don't really belong just to fill our roster. He will pick whoever he feels is good enough to be on the field. And if that's 35 or 38 or 31, he does not care. He just wants the guys that actually can do the job for him, which is obviously a, a good thing because putting that national team jersey on should be earned, not given. So... Totally fine. I, I, I like that. But depth is going to be an issue. And like I said, our top players are very, very good. But losing a few of those to injuries is definitely a problem for us. So uh, the exact situation with who's good to go or not, I don't have the total update on that. But that's going to be a big factor, I think. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I, I know the, the the whole not bringing anyone who's not good enough to play. I, I was actually shocked, shocked the first time I saw uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, national team uh, rosters that Coach uh, Brinkefeld has led. I think it was uh, when they played the Nordic Championships in Denmark. Uh, and I was over there to watch a few games. And I saw the Danish team line up with like 40, 45 guys. And then I saw the Swedish team with 30, 31. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
what in the world <laughs> is going on here? Mm-hmm. But but a- after having heard the kind of explanations given from different national team coaches, I I'm starting to buy into it more and more that okay, sure you you shouldn't be bringing a bunch of people who won't play because it costs these kids money right to go play uh, but yeah it's a bit of a double-edged sword there because if if you only bring six offensive linemen to your games and two of them get injured you got a problem. Have a problem yes no no I, I totally get it and I've I've been coaching with coach Brinkenfeld and uh, have had these discussions he was the head coach and I was the OC in 2019, for instance. So I've been on both sides of this. Also, just speaking of my age, I had uh, Coach Brinkenfeld play for me. He was my center when uh, we won uh, U19 gold back in 2008. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, We've had Coach Brinkenfeld uh, on, I think, back in March, I believe. And mm-hmm. he told he told the story how he... Played center for these, uh, was it the stew teams? Yes, Northside Bulls, correct. That's true. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. <laughs> but, um, I mean, let's also be very clear on one thing. I am totally sure that in a perfect world, he would love to dress 45 guys that belong. It's just a question of how many guys do we have that are elite athletes at, of the right age, injury-free, not playing in college, not high school, all that stuff. Uh, just going back, uh, old old memories here. I talked to a German coach. This is way back when I coached the World Championships in 2010, and or maybe 2009, doesn't matter. And I asked him about their selection process. How did you guys pick your team? And he said, oh, it was pretty straightforward. We, we had a camp. We... Um, we brought in 700 kids and we cut 50 a day till we had our team. It's like, okay, that process doesn't really work for us. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that, that's a bit different. A bit mm-hmm. different. I mean, on a, on, a, on a very good year, we might get 100 kids who'd uh, show up for something like that. Right. <laughs> yep. It tells you a little bit about what we're up against. I mean, yeah, it, it really does. If if one co- if one country has seven hundred players trying to join this team and another has less than a hundred, then uh, we know there's th- there are some differences <laughs> in uh, circumstances for these countries. Totally, but it's a fun story to tell. People get kind of like, "Whoa, seven hundred! Wow, okay." <laughs> Uh, our uh, our Canadian head coach we had uh, last year, uh, he explained how the Team Canada process was because he he was uh, he was supposed to play for the Canadian team that played in I think it was uh, the one that played in Texas. Uh, okay, he, he he got injured, so he didn't make the team. But he explained like the process, and it was uh, uh, they had people scout from the provincial teams when they play their provincial uh, games. And that's kind of how they work their way through to get their team Canada. Right. 
which is kind of a, a very, very different from what we have available. <laughs> of course, yeah. But I mean, in a perfect world, uh, or maybe not perfect, but the way it's supposed to be, we should have uh, U15 regional teams. It used to be U17, but now U15, and then the best out of that can be picked up to Uvalu, which is U17 national team. And then, I mean, have that progression. So, I mean, we have to, we have to find a way to be competitive within our system and with our means and our numbers and size of our country. I mean, Austria is not bigger when it comes to definitely not geographically, but when it comes to number of people as well, it's basically the same. So compared to them, we have the same resources. Yeah, I think we're kind of close. It is around 10 million in both countries. It is. Trust me, I'm a geography nerd. <laughs> so yeah, I, I kind of am too. Yeah, they, they even have less people than us, I think. By yeah, it's near, nearly very close. Level. Very close. The, the one advantage Austria has, though, is uh, geographic closeness. Yeah. So, like, all, all their nine to ten million are in a much smaller area than uh, we have in Sweden because we're we're all kinds of spread out and. Like, True. like we have we have a terrible situation where football basically doesn't exist north of uh, Falun and Yavla. Like, right? It's, it's it's horrible in reality that we can't get things working uh, further north in this big country of ours. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it's also very understandable because it's so. I mean, it's so pricey to travel with bunch of kids from Sundsvall to Umeå to Östersund. I mean, it's, I know since I'm coaching uh, the national team of Norway, as you might have heard, uh, they have the same type of problem with uh, travel being an issue. So, so much of the football is centered around the Oslo area because just like Stockholm, you can travel easily between between the teams and, and play without that huge cost. And Norway is even worse because you basically have to fly because of all those mountains. You can't really drive in a day from like Trondheim to Kristiansand. It's impossible. You're not going to drive uh, through the mountains or uh, uh, past the fjords? <laughs> no, it takes forever. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a really tricky situation. I, I know... I, I was going to say a few years back, but I think it's been like half a decade now. But I remember uh, Ilmu, they had a team play in the series one year. And right. their shortest away trip was down to Masta to play the Orlando Jets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like a thousand kilometers driving. I, I think it, their closest away game was like a nine hour drive. It's 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 stupid like yeah. uh, of of course these teams up north aren't just gonna pop in and play because if they do without having other local teams do do it at the same time then they're screwed financially financially they can't get by and not, not only financially it's such a huge commitment by yeah, the players time-wise i mean okay we got a game this weekend okay that means this weekend is totally out i'm not doing anything else it's Travel, play, travel, and that's okay. It's Monday again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly the case. Was, I mean, if you go back, sorry if I interrupted you, but if you go back like 20 years, maybe in the old guy here 
with the perspective. You had, I mean, if you look at a map and just put a pin in each city that had a team, especially up north, you'd be blown away how many cities actually had teams. And that makes it so much easier because then, okay, it's still going to be for us, you and me would consider it a long trip, but for those guys up north, it's not too bad if it's like a three, four hour drive. And you had teams in Lulio, Umeå, Skellefteå, Piteå, Sundsvall, obviously has to show all those places back then. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if they one year coordinated and suddenly we had a division two north with a true northern oh, yeah. <laughs> division? Oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. And with all those big kids up north, we we could be recruiting linemen like crazy. <laughs> But hey, you, you, you need a lot to get a functioning football team. You need oh, yeah. the organizational stability. You need the coaching. You need the recruiting aspect. And, of course, oh, yeah. you need the people, the players, the kids. Yep. You cannot play without players. <laughs> nope. And you need quite a few. Otherwise, I mean, especially like you talked about the new Gothenburg team when we talked U19. Um, you need numbers because you're going to get, I mean, First year that people play, some people are going to find out, okay, this was not for me. And people have injuries that they're not used to. And you need a cushion. You cannot like, okay, we got a new team. We got 22 guys. Let's roll. That's not going to cut it in the end. You need numbers to survive that first year. Yeah. If you have a year of a bunch of first year players and you only have 20 guys and you, you're planning to play U19 or, uh, any 11 man series you're you're gonna have a bit of a problem because yep. when three guys get injured you're down to 17 do you want to go into a game with 17 you can but do you survive that game then two more go down and you're down to 15 like exactly. it's it, it it creates a snowball effect if you start racking up those injuries but and also usually if you're new and you're few you also start racking up those losses and football is not yeah. As much fun when the scoreboard says zero to sixty and you're hurting and it's rainy. And, I mean, you're yeah, it, getting it, a lot of excuses a, not to go there again. It's not a fun game to play when you're getting pummeled. Like nope. that—that's that's a fact. And um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it in football when you have two teams that are uneven, clearly uneven, the better team will always win. Yep. No matter what, the better. Usually big. Win. Big, yes. I mean, in, in in soccer, you can have uneven teams and the ball bounces uh, wrong a few times and the and we suddenly have a tie at our hands. Or uh, right. in ice hockey, the puck sneaks past the better team's goalkeeper two or three times and suddenly they've got an upset win. Any football, sport with a goalkeeper, you can always find a way for the underdog to keep it close, but yeah. not in football. In football, if you have one t- team that's clearly clearly better, they're never gonna lose to the team that they're clearly clearly better than. Nope. Well, and on that, uh, is it is it a downer note or is it just a <laughs> fact of life? I th- let's go with fact of life. It sounds better. <laughs> I think uh, we should uh, end off here, Leo. Um, hey. Thanks a lot for joining me on this uh, U19 Corner project here. My pleasure. 
it's very good to have you on and uh, i hope we talk again in uh, maybe a week or two Um, anytime uh, maybe two weeks or so because we want to get that uh european championship game in first at least and then we can preview the coming rounds of u19 football here let's do it and maybe maybe i'll quiz leo a bit for his uh historical perspective of U19 football, because that's at least something I'm very uh, curious about. Sounds like fun. Tune in, everybody. Thank you all for listening, and uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.